Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is sponsored by Yeshivat Maharat, the first institution to ordain women as Orthodox clergy and where Jofa UK's founder, Dina Brower, is one of 28 students. This June, she will be joining the 19 women already ordained and working in the field of Jewish communal leadership. This is Dina Brower. I am the founder of Jofa UK, and I'm currently in my final year of smicha studies at Yeshivat Maharat in New York. I am back to bring you Masachet Moed Katan. We will explore the meaning of the name, look at what the various chapters cover, and finally study one Mishnah in depth. You may remember that we are currently studying Seder Moed, the order of festivals. So our tractate is referred to as Moed Katan to distinguish it from the eponymous Seder. This would render the name of our tractate small or minor Moed. The Mishnah in Vayikra Rabbah calls our tractate Masachet Mashkin, which means one may water, after the very first word of the opening Mishnah. Moed Katan deals with the laws of the intermediary days of a festival, which we refer to as Chol HaMoed, but the Mishnah simply refers to as Moed. I want to pause for a minute and consider the meaning of the word Moed. We generally translate it as festival, but spoiler alert, the next and final Masachet of Seder Moed is called Chagiga, which also means festival or festivity. You may wonder, what is the difference between the word Moed and Chagiga? And why do we have two tractates with similar names? Chagiga is rooted in the word for festivity, chag, and the associated verb means to celebrate. Moed is rooted in the word for appointed time. It first occurs in Bereshit, Genesis 1.14, as God creates the sun and moon and describes their function. Vehayu leotot ule moadim ule yamim veshanim. They shall serve as signs for the set times and for days and years. And it is also associated with the festivals in Parshat Emor, Leviticus 23.4. Ele Moade Hashem Mikra'e Kodesh, these are the Lord's appointed times, holy occasions, Asher Tikru Otam Bemoadam, which you shall designate in their appointed time. The verses continue with God's declaration. And on the 15th day of this month, Chagamatzot Lahashem, it shall be the festival of Matzot for the Lord, Shivat Yamim Matzot Tuchelu, you shall eat Matzot for a seven-day period. This verse states the positive aspect of Pesach, eating Matzah over seven-day period. Bayom HaRishon, Mikra Kodesh Yelachem Kol Melechet Avoda Lotaasu. The verse continues to explain that on the first day there shall be a holy occasion and you shall not perform any work of labor. This verse states the negative aspect of Pesach, withholding from labor, which is limited to the first and we learn elsewhere the last day of the festival. We find a similar pattern with the verses that describe the festival of Sukkot. The exception to the Shalosh Regalim is Shavuot. The entire festival is concentrated in one day, or two days outside of Israel, 
And as a child, I remember feeling slightly cheated out of the intermediary festival days on Shavuot. While it is clear that the days in between the first and last day of the festival have holiness, the prohibition of work doesn't apply in exactly the same way as it does to the first and last day of the festival. The core question the Mishnah in Moed Katan is trying to answer is, what defines permitted work on Chol HaMoed? What types of chores and activities can we engage in in the intermediary days of the festival that would still allow us to retain the sense of holiness associated with the festival itself? We learned that one of the core definitions of the work prohibited in the intermediary days, which we now refer to as Chol HaMoed, is the Varsheno Aved, meaning any type of activity that can be postponed to after the festival without incurring any financial loss. Moed Katan, which is one of the shorter tractates, is made up of three chapters. You won't be surprised to find that the types of work the first chapter opens with are related to the day-to-day maintenance work of a farmer. We learned that one is permitted to carry out light chores that are urgent. One may water an irrigated field on the Moed from a spring, but they may not irrigate it from stored rainwater or water drawn from a deep well, as that requires greater effort. One may not dig a fresh trench to hold water around vines, but they may repair those which are already damaged. One may trap moles and mice in an orchard or a field. When it comes to maintenance of public facilities, we see that the sages are very pragmatic and permit all public needs to be performed. This includes repairing and cleaning the waterworks in a public domain, repairing the roads, the marketplace, and the ritual baths, as well as marking graves, making a coffin or adapting a grave for a specific body. What about taking advantage of the day off during the festival to catch up with your DIY projects? Well, the Mishnah clearly sees that as falling outside the definition of maintaining the festival's holiness and states that one may only erect an oven or a hearth or a mill for the use on the festival itself. So in theory, you are permitted to put together that IKEA table to accommodate extra guests in your sukkah, but probably not much else. If you're not a professional seamstress, then you are allowed to sew stitches in a regular way. But if you are a professional seamstress, you may only stitch in a zigzag fashion, so that you are limited to sewing what is absolutely necessary in the most rudimentary way. And you're not going to be busy catching up on work over Cholamoed. Likewise, any urgent repair work to one's roof or lock or to the railing around the porch can be made so long as it's done in a rough manner, but not as a professional craftsman. Even pickling food is permitted only if this food will be ready to eat during Cholamoed itself. But similarly to what we learned in Tractate Beitza about cooking on Yom Tov, we cannot use the festival to prepare stock items for our pantry. The second chapter deals with urgent and unexpected chores. What if before the festival you had started a chore that needs to be finished in a particular time frame? For example, you spread out your crop of olives to soften them before pressing, and then you were diverted from pressing them due to an unforeseen circumstance. And if you do not press the olives on Cholamoid, they will be ruined. We learn that if you're unable to finish your work due to entering into mourning for the death of a relative, 
or if your laborers disappointed you by not showing up to work, in these circumstances, because they were beyond your control, the sages permit doing the minimum work needed to salvage the crop. One can give the olives their first pressing, or pour wine out of the cistern into the casks so that it does not sour, or take flax out of the soaking pool so it does not become spoiled. One can also bring produce indoors to protect it from thieves. The Mishnah stipulates that in all of the above cases, one's intention matters, so long as you intend to save the produce rather than to do work on Cholamoid, then it is permitted. After all, nothing would spoil your festivity more than having your entire crop lost or stolen. Next, our chapter turns to another key consideration for permitting work. One can only purchase items that are needed for use during the festival. However, it permits the purchase of items that are not needed if the intention is to enable a seller to earn the money so that he too can purchase food and celebrate the festival. An additional condition is that work done on Cholamod is done discreetly. Sellers of fruit, garments, or utensils may privately sell what is required for use on the Moed. Hunters, grinders of cereal, and millers of grit may engage in the work in private for the requirement of the festival. In the third chapter, the Mishnah presents yet another definition of the festive nature of Chol this time in contrast to mourning practices. Shaving and laundering one's clothes were two important ways to physically prepare for the festival, but generally not permitted on Cholamod itself. They are also the two foremost prohibitions associated with mourning. Here we learn that if someone has been prevented from shaving or laundering in preparation for the festival, it is permitted to do so on Cholamod, presumably because this enables them to feel and look festive. This category includes one who arrives from a long-distance journey from a land beyond the sea, or one who is released from prison, as well as someone who has just been released from excommunication. The laundering category is broadened to include women who are menstruating, women who have given birth, and anyone who's going through ritual purification. I love that the Mishnah states that hen towels, barber's towels, and bath towels can be washed because they are used rather frequently. We learned the exceptions to another prohibited activity, that of writing documents. On Cholomoed, one can write documents considered urgent. The list includes betrothal contracts, bills of divorce, receipts, deeds of gift, deeds of alimony, documents of chalitza, the ceremony performed to release a widow from the obligation of Leverite marriage, decrees of the court, and government correspondence. Documents that deal with general business transactions cannot be written unless there's a pressing need. Here the examples include a lender who does not trust a borrower, or if a scribe has nothing to eat and needs to earn money through his work. It is interesting to note that even Torah scrolls to fill in a mezuzot cannot be written or corrected. The chapter concludes with laws of Avelut, mourning. We learn that Cholamod terminates the mourner's count of Shiva, the seven days following the burial, and if the festival falls within the Shloshim, the 30-day period of mourning, Cholamod terminates it. We also learn about the specific mourning rituals that are not permitted on Cholamod. Ein korin, we may not tear our garments. Velo we may not bear our shoulder. 
ve'ein mavrin, nor may we offer a funeral meal except to the relatives of the dead. The practice of bringing food to the house of mourning goes back to Mishnahic times, but on Cholamoid, this should not be done by bringing it on a tray, nor in a silver tureen, nor in a dish, but it can only be brought in baskets. We do not recite the mourner's blessings on Cholamoid, but we stand in a row, the practice we now call Shura, to comfort the mourners, and then the crowd is dismissed. Eulogizing is kept to a minimum, and so when a funeral takes place on Cholamoid, the beer is not placed in the public thoroughfare, bringing us back to the theme of permitting what is necessary on Cholamoed, but discreetly. We also learn that women had particular mourning roles. They would clap the palms of their hands in mourning, wail, and sing lamentations. These practices would be kept to a minimum on Cholamoed, as well as Rosh Chodesh, Hanukkah, and Purim. I now want to return to the seventh Mishnah of the first chapter and look at it more closely. The Mishnah reads, One may not marry a woman on the Moed, whether she is a virgin or a widow, nor may one perform a leveret marriage, because it is a cause of joy for him. But one can remarry his divorced wife, a woman may make her adornments. This refers to elaborate cosmetic procedures rather than our everyday makeup. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Yehuda says she may not apply lime, a chalk-like cosmetic, because it may cause her pain. I chose this Mishnah for close reading because it is rather surprising to learn that something that is such an important and joyful mitzvah as marriage cannot take place during Cholamoed. The Talmud raises this question and wonders why a personal celebration cannot take place on the festival. One of the answers proposed by several rabbis is Ein me'arvin simcha besimcha. One may not mix one joy with another joy, as each requires its own celebration. In addition, Rav says, Vesamachta bechagecha. The verse tells us we should rejoice in the festival. Velo beishtecha, but not in your wife. Meaning, it is prohibited to mix the two, because one would forsake the rejoicing of the pilgrimage festival, and instead be busy with the rejoicing of his new wife. I feel this law communicates a message about sacred moments that is very relevant. Here, Jewish law is seeking to create the right emotional framework in which one can be totally present in celebration. While it may appear at first glance that holding a wedding on the festival only increases one's joy, it actually deflects the full joy that each occasion deserves in its own right. One ought to be fully present in the moment of the festival and alive to its specific tone of celebration. Likewise, with a wedding, mingling the two distracts and detracts from each. To sum up, Moed Katan seeks to achieve a delicate balance. Preserving the festive and sacred nature of Chola Moed, when Melacha, labor, is not outright prohibited like it is on Yom Tov itself, but not fully permitted either. 
The sages are aware that an exclusive focus on the positive ritual and observances of the festival is not going to be effective in fully demarcating these days as sacred. They understand that even while we are eating matzah or enjoying our meals in the sukkah, we may well be tempted to use our free time to get ahead in our chores or DIY. But also that prohibiting all manner of work during Cholamide can lead to a situation of stress, pain, and loss that will mar our festivity. And so the sages achieve the balance by allowing the labor it takes to avoid financial loss and any associated upset, avoid mourning, the obvious counterpart to festivals, and avoid competing festivities that would replace the joy of the festival. And they draw limits on mundane activity by demanding that we keep it necessary, keep it light, and keep it discreet. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.